Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Funky Marketing Podcast. Today, we are uh, recording one of those Funky Marketing Top Voices episodes when we have people that we at Funky Marketing consider as the top voices, people that are trying to change uh, to change the industry or to change their environment just at least just a little bit and make make uh, some kind of a change. So today uh, I have a pleasure to uh, to welcome uh, Danny Levy. I hope I pronounce it right. Uh, That's right. It's about as good as anyone ever gets it. You've done it justice. Ah, yeah, nice. <laughs> Nice, because uh, people usually say if I, if I'm not wrong, like Levi or something like that. Uh, yeah, normally people pronounce it Levy, like a tax levy, but it, it's actually Levy. But mm -hmm. hey, I'm used to the Levy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so I didn't get it right as well. <laughs> yeah, I forgive. Okay, you. cool. So uh, maybe it's better if you if you give us a, a short overview of kind of what is it that you do. Sure, sure. Uh, so my name's uh, Danny Levy. I'm the managing director of a company called Worldwide Business Research uh, Insights. So the business has been running for uh, about 25 years. We've got offices in London, New York, and Toronto, and I run our Singapore office. So I'm the managing director for, for the Singapore office. So I'm responsible for the entire APAC region, large reason, region, um, very diverse, very fragmented. So uh, not the easiest to, to market and sell into. And what the business does is we are the world's leading large scale business to business summits organizer. So the unique selling point of the company really is that we invest a huge amount of time in, in research, product research. So our internal producers, our researchers spend on average uh, about three months just speaking to uh, the specific end users within each vertical that we put out our large-scale events in. Um, we're very, very strong. We're a market leader within e-commerce. Uh, so we have a big brand called Etail uh, within customer experience, uh, within procurement, within capital markets, and, and many more. And as you can imagine, the, the health pandemic um, massively altered and restructured uh, all the different offerings that we have. Um, we've shifted uh, all of our large-scale flagship events online. So we, we've refined that over the last 12 months. We have, a, we have an online platform that we're using now that we're very, very happy with. And we believe that it's now offering the same kind of premium experience online that we used to offer in all our five and, and six-star venues. We have a one-to-one -one meetings model um, where our inside sales team will take, say, a head of e-commerce for retail. They'll take them through a series of very in-depth questioning They'll profile them. They'll understand decision-making, budget, immediacy, uh, what they're spending on. And then companies will, will sponsor our Connect events and they'll get at like a number of meetings with people that are kind of ready to buy. It takes place over an online app and on Zoom meetings. So that's all working really well now. That's nice and optimized. Um, no death by PowerPoint. You come in, you have your meetings, you get your ROI and you go off. Uh, and then we also have, uh, we build up our kind of market research. We put out research reports uh, and we do a lot of content syndication. Uh, we have newsletters across all the different portals and I have my own podcast. Sounds like a lot of, a lot of, a lot of works and a lot of things going on. Yes. There's a lot yeah. of things going on. A lot yeah, of channels I, for our customers, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I like when, when that's, that's how you do. I mean, that's how, how I keep, keep my mind fresh. Uh, yes. Just because doing a, a lot of other things, and, and, uh, and I, I'm glad that you are recovering well from the COVID uh, situation and just kind of shifting everything online, because I'm seeing yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of events that uh, are now going going online, but not many of them were able to kind of replicate the offline experience. I mean, maybe it's not yeah. possible to replicate it fully, but uh, just to get somebody excited for the event, that's that's just enough in, in my case. Yeah, I think you've got to make sure that you really understand the customer requirements, make sure that you actually speak to your most important customers. It it'll never replicate the physical environment a hundred percent. But there's some there's some very good things that you can do with digital summits. You know, there's there's pros and cons. Um you can tap into 
to attendees and to delegates from across the APAC region that, that probably wouldn't have been able to fly into to Singapore before or to Hong Kong uh, to attend in person. So that means that actually from a business development standpoint, you've got access to people you might not have done before. Uh, and from a top of funnel standpoint, you're reaching many more people that potentially you couldn't have done before as well. Uh, and there's definitely cool things you can do around all the various apps and platforms in terms of one-to-one -one meetings. And we have a very dedicated inside sales team uh, who make sure people attend online as well. I think if you don't have that, it can be a little challenging because people can ghost you, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, um, through the Zoom meetings, but our, but our inside sales team are pretty good. And as you can imagine, I mean, over 25 years when we were running in-person events, we, were, we had a lot of... Um, a lot of very, very fine-tuned best practice. Uh, you know, we were a very well-oiled machine when it came to in-person summits, and we've been able to take some of that best practice and move it into the, into the online environment as well. So, so luckily, it's working quite well for us. Yeah, nice. Good to hear that. So yeah. let's go a little back, bit back. Uh, yeah. We're both not that, not that old. So it's not yes. way back, <laughs> but uh, but let's let's uh, see how your story started. How was your yeah. childhood? Where did you grow up? How was everything back at the time? Yeah, so um, I mean, I'm living in Singapore now, but I'm from the I'm from the UK originally, from England, and I um, I grew up in the in the north of England in Yorkshire in a place called in Hull in the north of England that, that normally gets a very bad rep as kind of one of the dullest places to live in the UK. But I mean, it's, it's, it's a fun place. It gets a bad rep. Very, very, very friendly people. Um, lots of outdoor space, uh, lots of big houses, big gardens. And, and I had a really happy childhood. Um, made some very good friends, uh, many of whom I'm still in touch with today. Uh, sadly, haven't been able to go back uh, to the north of England through the health pandemic. I'd normally go back probably once every 18 months or so um, to see my friends and family. But but since uh, COVID, I've not been able to travel. My parents would normally come out to Singapore kind of once a year as well. Uh, and my, my parents and my sister and our husband still live uh, in, in Yorkshire, in, in Hull, in the north of England. And kind of growing up, I mean, kind of I did all the normal uh, kid stuff, right? I played a lot of sport. Um, football and rugby were big ones for me growing up. Uh, I think I was probably playing or training at football and rugby every day of the week, if I remember. Um, and, and being in the UK, you know, we were often on kind of coaches. I remember being on a coach a lot as a kid, going to play a team away and kind of getting up to lots of fun with, with my friends on the bus, on the team bus, uh, going on rugby tours to places like Edinburgh and into Europe. Uh, so played tons of sport, I think, and and that's all that's helped me. I think when I moved into into business as well, you know, all that kind of team sports and that team spirit and and, and everything you learn um, through that, you know, all the camaraderie and um, getting the best out of other people and working well together. That that's really invaluable. So that's that's worked really well. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just just a really nice childhood, really, and uh, yeah, lots of happy memories. Yeah, and I, I guess the first job was over there as well, right? Something, something local. That's usually how 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 we start as people from the from the small cities. That was it. Yeah, I think I got to about uh, 16, and my my mum said, "You need to get a job now. <laughs> Go <laughs> find one." <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, my first job was that my first proper job was in a in a jewelry shop in, in in a place called Beverly, near where I grew up. So Beverly, uh, for people listening to this that aren't from the UK, Beverly's kind of a bit like uh, you kind of picture book uh, town in the UK, a bit like kind of Oxford or Cambridge, uh, York, York, that that kind of vibe, kind of cobblestone streets and little stores and cafes. And there's a there's a jewelry shop in in the middle of town there. And I, I worked in the in the watch department in the in the jewelry store. So I was kind of tasked with repairing watches. So I would change a lot of watch batteries with tiny, tiny screwdrivers, which is actually a really difficult thing to do. Yeah. Uh, I remember once I had this awful experience where someone came in with a I think it was a gold Rolex, and they asked me to change the watch battery. And it was one of the old watches. So you had to put in a Stanley knife and just pop the back off. And 
Um, it had been in the family for a very long time and he had an engraving on the back. I can't remember what the engraving said now. And I popped the engraving off the back by mistake. <laughs> and I was 16. I remember I didn't know what to do. So I kind of panicked, excused myself, went upstairs into the kind of watch repair area. And I remember this is terrible now, um, but I, I super glued the engraving back onto the back of the Rolex and then put the watch battery back in and gave it back. So, but other than that, I, I learned a lot about customer service. I mean, you were kind of uh, selling high value watches, dealing with customers. Um, it was quite nerve wracking at times at 16, because for you, it would feel like a huge amount of money. If someone came in and, and bought an Omega watch or a Rolex, it would be like, wow, you know, that's more than my entire salary this summer. Um, and having to deal with, you know, older people, I guess, more high net worth individuals, so it was, a, it was a great learning experience, uh, to be honest with you. And then other, other kind of jobs I did when I was young, I worked in a sandwich shop in a delicatessen. So I still know how to make a mean roast beef sandwich with caramelized oh, nice. onions, still does me well. And uh, through university, I worked in um, silver service. So I worked uh, at the Windsor Horse Show, Silverstone with kind of celebrities. I, I, you used to have to kind of clear the entire table in one go with the big plates. I remember I, I cleared the royal family's table at the Windsor Horse Show. And I remember I kind of lost my balance and dropped some cutlery. And I don't know who said it, but I remember, I just remember hearing how vulgar from the, from the head table as I walked off. So I think you've got to do these kind of things when you're young. I mean, they teach you so much. And um, when you do kind of come out of university and go into your first job, whatever it is, you've got that kind of experience that you can play off and Kind of putting yourself in at the deep end it always helps yeah i was i was thinking about my first jobs while i was listening to you like besides working yeah. at, at the cafes like uh all of them were related to the communication or telling stories in a way when yes. i look at it from right now like my first job was selling books on the book fairs okay so uh, without any experience in like selling anything but just like i was super excited because uh, I was reading a lot and yep. something that my parents installed me while I was younger. Uh, and, and the second one was, uh, was actually going from house to house and just marking up the electricity spend. So okay. the, the trick here was that 7, 8 a.m. you need to come in the, in the yard or even in the house of somebody and to, to check the numbers. So you need to get all kind of skills to avoid the dog, to wake up people, to kind of, you know, persuade them to do specific things. Yeah, then, yeah. then like when they get accustomed to you, they, they even tell you where the keys are. So all kind so setting of- you up, set, Setting you up perfectly for that career in marketing. Uh, yeah, yeah, actually it's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Kind, of, kind of interesting. Like, cause uh, I used to go with, uh, with my friend and they would yeah. ask us, why is it like, two of you okay. probably one can write and one can speak you know there was yeah. they were making fun of us but it was just too boring to go along you know so okay i guess, I guess in the bookshop as well you, you must have had to be dealing you were dealing with customers and you're dealing face to face with people and kind of yeah, different it was, it was actually types. on the on the main square yeah. uh in the city where those things were happening so a lot of okay. different people coming and you need to to have your mat for everything so yeah it was it was kind of a good preparation for for everything and i i didn't do anything related to that up until uh i don't know like 10 years ago after that okay uh and kind of now looking back okay because uh at i don't know for five or six years i was i was unemployed because okay uh actually my my parents consider me as unemployed because uh i was running an ngo and organizing events uh right. like stopping villages from dying huge summer okay. camps with 200 people from like 18 countries but uh i knew that digital marketing was coming and you know, what, what i wanted yeah. to do is coming i just needed to be patient and up my skills uh when that time comes and when it came i just took off so nice kind and you of, weren't unemployed you were working 
you, you were definitely doing something valuable and getting all that experience. Yeah, but you, you know how it in. is. Uh, at that time, I was living in, yeah. the, in the small city here in Serbia when there's a huge Michelin factory mm. and everybody's working in it. So it was like, you go there, you work over there like three shifts and no life yeah. and everything. So I, I just didn't want to do that to myself. Okay. You stayed strong. The perfect mm -hmm. mindset to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, the, the unemployed yeah. <laughs> that turned out to be somebody that actually knows something. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit about about challenges. So when, okay. when you look back at now, like you started from the from the small city in UK and yep. now where you at running the APEC region. So what are some of the biggest challenges you had? Yeah, I mean, as you can imagine, I've I kind of worked through the 2008 financial crisis and then I relocated to Singapore uh, 10 years ago or just over 10 years ago now in, in 2010. And prior to what I'm doing now, I started two businesses and grew those uh, to, to seven figures in revenue. Um, so you can imagine there's a lot of challenges I've faced over the kind of last 10 or 11 years that I could that I could touch on. But if I had to pick one, I would I would say that actually 2020 was the biggest challenge. And, and I think it was just because it was just the nature of the crises, because in, in previous previous economic crises, if you were in if you were in a company work that was kind of selling a solution, there was always ways that you could kind of optimize your offering. You could kind of pivot and go in a new direction. You could you could work hard to get through it. But for us, as I mentioned before, um, that wasn't really an option because our our main business was large scale in person highly researched B two B summits. So although we could pivot, I mean it was it wasn't like you could just refine or do things slightly differently. It was like we had to reinvent the entire business model, and it, it was almost like going back to basics a hundred percent and and doing a startup again, um, starting from scratch. So I think. The big, the big thing with that was that we, we just had to kind of refocus so, so quickly last year. And we went from a business that was doing very, very well and were very successful, like I mentioned, and we're really well-oiled machine into a, uh, a business that really we had to figure things out very, very quickly. And I was quite lucky. I mean, there was two things last year that really helped us through this challenging period uh, in terms of how I handled it. Um, the first, the first thing was that in Singapore, the APAC team, we, we really do have a really fantastic culture and we have fantastic people. Um, and like I touched on before, we were the market leader. We are the market leader in a number of verticals, uh, here in Asia, e-commerce, uh, procurement, customer experience, travel, uh, to name a few. Uh, and the first point, I guess <laughs> it's always a bit cliche, right? When you say, oh, you've got to have a brilliant culture or you've got to have good people. But I think last year really shined a spotlight on it because things were so difficult. Everyone was under so much strain, workloads were increased, people were working from home with all the stresses that went along with that. I think if you, if you don't have that kind of can-do attitude, that positivity, that culture where people really pull out and work together and, and get through really difficult moments, then you're really gonna struggle. And I think, a lot of companies make the mistake when when times are good that they don't worry too much about their people or their culture because thing, things are going okay, times are good. But then like in challenging times like last year, you're, you're really going to be found out um, when, when things are hard. And then, and then back to the kind of back to the point around the products. Again, the same, the same thing. Um, if you don't have fantastic products, um, again, in good times, you probably can get away with it things will be okay but again in bad times you're going to be found out uh, and your customers they might not stick with you they might not stick with you in bad times but 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 if you've got those kind of market leading those number one products and, and customers love it then even through the bad times they're probably going to stick with you um so so like i said our, our business it really looks very different now than it did 12 months ago but but we've been fortunate, you know. We've we've really optimized. We've got we've got different channels, and we can we can offer now kind of year-round integrated digital campaigns for our customers across all the various touch points. So 
I think although last year was it was so so challenging and there were definitely moments last year where um you know people were pretty burnt out right I mean it, it was very very tough at certain moments but it's it's pushed the business forward to to new heights really has pushed the business forward to new heights uh, and I'm really excited about 2021. Yeah some some great points over there I totally yeah. agree like and I want to dig deeper into into two of them yeah. uh first the culture uh yes. so i have a question is that the culture that was developed for 25 years and just got into there started from the let's say the founder and then mm -hmm. just move on uh across across the organization and when you hire new people you just choose them based on the values based on the culture culture and the fit not only by what do they know Uh, mm -hmm. Or it was the culture that was uh, built more uh, with the people that were coming inside the organization. I mean, in okay. ideal case, usually it's those those two integrated. But I just wanted to hear the way you were building it. Yeah, I think I think it's integrated. I mean, to, to give you some background, when I started uh, with WBR in 2013, um, there was only a real small handful of people, and then I built the team. In Asia, I, I built it to a point now where last year, I think, end of the year, we had about 25 in Singapore. So, so it's not the biggest. Our, our London, our New York offices, our Toronto offices are, are, are larger. That's just the nature of the Asian market. But, but to answer your question, I mean, WBR, we've always had a really clear set of core values that, that we believe are kind of what we look for in our people. And we, we test for that in the interview process as well. We want people to come in that are kind of entrepreneurial, can do, problem solvers, uh, work well in a team. We always make sure we get reference checks and kind of speak to people. And we were very thorough in the hiring process. Even then, though, you sometimes get it wrong, right? People just interview well and they come in and they are they are a flop or um, they are toxic. But, you know, we do our utmost to, to ensure that we hire for, for culture fit. Um, but I would say WBR is great because you know, the senior leadership in the company all, all trickles down from the senior leadership. And, and often the business will, it will hire for, it will promote from within. So it recognizes achievement, it recognizes performance. Um, it recognizes people who are high potential and it rewards that. Uh, and if you look um, across the business, you know, the, uh, the managing directors in the business at the moment all started really at the bottom. They started as kind of entry level researchers and producers. That's my background as well. Um, and they've worked their way up. So, you know, when you when you talk to people in the company at a senior level, they really know what they're talking about because they've they've been in the trenches, right? They've done it. They've had that experience. They've worked with customers and they they really understand where you're coming from as well, because they've often gone through a difficult moment or the difficult challenge that you're currently in, or, or they just can give you good advice. And I've, I've worked for companies in the past where that is just really not the case. You know, you go to someone for some advice and you think, huh, you know, do you work in the same industry as me? What are you talking about? Um, so I think that that's, that's really a, that's a big one. And, and for me in Asia, you know, for me personally, that you can't get stuff done if you don't have a good culture. You just you just can't get stuff done and 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 for me i always want to feel like oh, i always wanted to feel like when we were going to the office more like work was a place where you could just be happy to go you know on a monday i mean i've got two children and uh they're quite young so for me on a monday morning i would jump through the lift doors and be like yay work <laughs> i get to sit down for eight hours and drink some coffee and no one's going to talk to me but you know i've always tried to instill that in the team and, and for me i always try and make i've always tried to make the work environment super safe I want people to feel really safe. I want people to feel like they can take a risk. And if they take a risk and it doesn't work out, no one's going to berate you for that. Um, I'd rather people try things and try things in kind of controlled environments to push the business forward rather than being too scared to ever share ideas or anything like that. Um, and I think it was that kind of safe culture that, that really helped us through, through last year because everyone knew that they had each other's backs We are a close-knit team. And look, not all the online stuff we tried worked, right? Um, it was just the nature of the beast last year. Um, but we, we failed together and we succeeded together. And now we have a, a really well-optimized and kind of well-oiled offering. So 
So I, th I don't know if that answers your question, Amanda, but yeah, I think that's really it. I think it starts from the top and then you've got to create that really safe culture, safe environment, hire for fit and make sure that you recognize people and, uh, you know, give them a lot of praise on a daily basis and, and help them through everything. Uh, it really does. Thanks for sharing yeah. this. Uh, so one more question to add to that. Uh, while you were going through the um, transformation yeah. of how the COVID affected everything and you needed to change and transform the way the way you do, you do the work that you've been doing successfully for so many years. Yeah. Um, what are some things that you can emphasize that uh, you were doing when it comes to communication with the clients? Okay. Just to make all that transition uh, more smooth and more easy. You know, because you said that they love they love the product. Yeah. And everything. So, but when it, things are changing, people are, are started to be unsecured. You know, and so you, we need to communicate uh, more often and more clear in some situations just to get the transition right. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, there was a huge amount of fear at the at the onset, right? At the beginning of the pandemic from from most people. I think I think business concerns took a back seat to kind of personal concerns, to health concerns. I think what what we did, and it was really funny because at the beginning of the pandemic, empathy became the kind of the buzzword. Oh, you've got to have empathy, but I think you kind of always have to have empathy. Otherwise, there's probably something wrong with you. Um, but yeah, you should always be very empathetic. I think, think for us, the main thing we did at the beginning was we just went out to all of our top kind of billers, our, sorry, our top spenders, our, our biggest customers, and we, we just spoke to them. We just said, you know, what are you going through? Um, what's happening with you right now? This is the situation. This is what we're doing. And in the beginning of COVID, we, our original plan, to be honest, was to kind of move our large scale summits by six months. And maybe we were overly optimistic, but we thought, you know, the pandemic will be over by then. We can kind of get back to, to business as normal. So we, we spoke to customers about that. And, and in, in the beginning, we kind of moved their existing commitments, their sponsorships for a lot of them over to the, the rescheduled event in six months. And when it became clear that, again, we couldn't do that, um, we, we just had a very frank talk with them around, we're going to move it online. This is These are the pros. These are the cons. Uh, these are some of the frequently asked questions. This is what other customers are saying. This is why it's not an issue. Um, and this is what we can do. And this is how we can help you. Um, you can you can do this. You can repurpose your money onto, onto the virtual event, or you can move it onto one of our other products or offerings. And we're here to help you and work with you and get you through this difficult moment. We're in it together. Um, and, and like always, we, we just want you to get the most uh, return on your investment. So really, I think I think the main thing is just just having those honest discussions, um, and, and kind of putting putting the the monetary stuff aside and just dealing with each other like humans, because I mean I think this whole health pandemic has just humanized everyone, right? I mean that's one of the positives that's come out of it. It's put us all in the same boat, um, and, and everyone is it's people first. And I think when you treat your customers like that, <clears throat> they're more than happy to to get through the rocky moments with you. And when things return and, and things are normal again, they're still there. They're still your best customers. Sounds, sounds about, sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you about, about some things uh, that you're seeing around, but I guess we, we moved through the, those, like giving real values, like going straight to the people talking directly yeah. to them and kind of avoiding that that gap and the noise that might come up. Uh, so you mentioned that, uh, that what are you seeing in, in your industry uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to the bullshit practices is yeah. people measuring events by the number of attendees. Yeah. Uh, is that change or it's still the, still the thing? And what are some other things that you're seeing as well? Yeah, so I think there was two questions, right? You, there was one around what's bad marketing for me, which maybe ties into Kind of the bs if we want to tie it together i don't know if that works yeah yeah yeah, yeah. let's let's get into, yeah. into all of that <laughs> yeah all of this bullshit. yeah <laughs> so i mean if we start with bad marketing what is bad marketing for me i think um we've touched on it already a bit but i think if you're going to market then you've got to put your customers at the heart 
of, of everything you do. This is a really big one for me because I see a lot of companies that will, that will not really think about customers. They'll just, they'll just push their features uh, and expect people to, to buy from them based on the strength of their product or service. Um, so I think you, you've got to have that. Psychology is always a big one in marketing, right? You've got to put human emotions first and you've really got to think about marketing tactics second. So, so you've got to think about your, the people you're marketing to as people first. What are their personality types? Uh, look at your buyer persona, your ICP. And, and then you think about the marketing tactics and you've got to put yourselves in your customer's shoes. Uh, and I think the other one, the other one around bad marketing that I see happening a lot is when marketing will just work in a silo internally. Um, they, they'll work independently almost to the other teams and to sales, which I always think is just madness because uh, really both of the departments are driving revenue internally. So I think bad marketing, um, you've got to avoid that. I would, I would always try and be really in sync with sales, um, join the weekly sales meetings. Uh, I always recommend people listen to the sales calls with customers that they're having. If they're recorded, if they're not recorded, they should be recorded. Um, even, even when marketers are, are, are writing content, if they're writing content or they're putting a piece of copy together, doing a newsletter, get sales to look at it, get the other teams to look at it, the product teams, get their feedback because you know they're they're talking to customers regularly um it's going to give you a, a great insight on how to market better to your customers uh, and i'd also say uh, and again i've seen this where where marketers are marketing without really understanding what they're marketing they're not that they're, they're, they just got like a surface level knowledge about their own product or their service or solution uh, and I don't really understand how you can expect anyone to buy from you if you're not an expert in what you're marketing. So I'd always say, use your own product, use your own solution, really understand it, get that subject matter expertise so that, you know, when you, when you write the copy or when you talk to a customer or you talk internally, people just know you get it. Uh, and you've got to market internally sometimes just as much as you have to market externally. And then another one, I put down a lot in the menu. Another one is, um, I'd say not, you know, not giving away your expertise for free kind of drives me nuts. So I'll see it, see a lot of companies that will have content or blog articles or white papers. It's always gated. So you've always got to put in an email, uh, to access anything. I'd say, give your, give your expertise away for free. Um, benefit of doing that is over time then, um, your customers will, or your target customers will come to, to recognize you as that expert in the space when you're constantly giving away all your content and expertise for free. And then when they are ready to buy, they'll, they'll come to you. So it's quite counterintuitive, um, when you, when you gate everything. And then lastly, how, the, how, how yeah. was that? Sorry, sorry to interrupt <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. but uh, you, know, you know how they say, but how can we know if somebody is reading it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, we get back to that question. I, I mean, today you have all kind of metrics that can give you yeah, that yeah, answer. Yeah. We get into it as well, right? I mean, if we're working with a company and they want to capture leads, then then gating the content makes sense. Like what we normally do is that we would have two articles. So we'd have we'd have one article which is ungated and you can read uh, and would give you a really good executive summary. And if you want to find out more, if you want to go a little bit deeper, then you have to put in an email. But I think to gate everything, regardless, to say, hey, here's our content, but you must be in our database or you must be in our newsletter. And you know you're going to be sold to the minute you put in that, that email. It's like, mm, you know, I, I would have more trust for a company if they, if they just gave me the information. And the information yeah, is good, right? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of what's happening all the, all yeah. the time. And I was, I was kind of hoping that it would change during the the last year during the pandemic but no like people mm. going after leads companies going after leads after mqls not after qualified leads yeah it, it would never change or it would take more and more years for that to come yeah the challenge is always the internal challenge isn't it if, if you're at a company where they're like oh i need 500 leads in a month then obviously you're going to gate everything aren't you because you need the leads uh, yeah. Whereas if you have a more like a long-term view, maybe you can you can provide more for free, can't you? Yeah, I think it comes uh, 
comes to the to the way you you measure your marketing efforts in most mm. of the companies like the yeah management uh needs to know that marketing is doing something and because sales cycles are longer uh yeah. they they need to have a proof that they have done something each month and then it comes down to the leads yeah. you know, and when you have leads then let's why didn't they send out more leads because that would mm -hmm. be, mean the improvement right and yeah, yeah. when you look at the big picture it actually isn't the improvement no and uh looking at it purely on the number of leads doesn't tell you much either right i mean you should be looking at the quality of the leads i mean the, the main metric you should really be looking at is is how many leads from marketing actually make it into the sales team's pipeline that that's really the key right i mean if you know if you, you're putting through leads that are actually out as outbound um live opportunities in the pipeline there's a proposal out then you're doing something right and you should be doubling down on that channel but if you're just giving people 500 leads, I mean, most of the time, uh, sales, sorry, can probably never even use most of those leads. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Uh, anything else you want to add? Uh, yeah, the BS in my industry, I think you were, you were touching at, right? I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, if, if I look at it on kind of B2B summits and, and conferences, the one thing that always really irks me is, um, when we're speaking to a marketer uh, and they will just purely base uh, the decision on whether they would um, sponsor with us uh, on the number of attendees, right? So they, they would look at maybe a, a trade show or a larger online event now with 10,000 attendees in the same industry. And because maybe our e-tail event, for example, would only have 500 delegates, um, they'd go with the one with 10,000 attendees but they're not actually basing it on job title, size of company, relevance, who's going, uh, are they decision makers? Will they buy their product? How much face time can they have? And if you think about the last time uh, you were at a, a large in-person event or even a large online event, it's actually very difficult with kind of more than 500 people, 300 people to actually have conversations or to, to meet people one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so I would always, yeah, just say that if you, it drives me mad, but if you're a marketer and, and you're looking at, at sponsoring, a uh, an event, you should always go deeper, always look at the demographics, always look at who's going, um, and base it on the amount of time that the, that that company's inside sales team is probably spending curating that audience. Cause it's, it can take a huge amount of time and, and you only need to meet with 10 people at one of these things. If, if two of those goes to, to deals, to business, then that can be a massive ROI for you. So yeah, don't base it on the number of attendees because it won't get you anywhere in the long run. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Yeah. That's, that's just healthy logic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something that, something, something that we lack in the, in the most cases uh, yeah, yeah, when, yeah. We, when we think, especially about events, because it's, it's a thing that can get us excited, excited, but we get excited about the wrong things. Yeah. I, I get why it happens. It goes back again to that leads conversation, doesn't it? I mean, if you, if you've got pressure internally or if you just don't, if you want to show that you've made the right decision and you don't know maybe enough, you can say, well, this one's got so many people going, obviously it's a better opportunity for us. Um, but it's, yeah, it's not the case. You've got to go deeper. Yeah. Um, let's, let's just go, um, for a moment, a little bit outside, outside of work yeah. and, uh, see what, what, are, what are some topics that you think that we need to talk more, uh, outside, outside of work just something that you are seeing around in your neighborhood or globally what are some things that we need to discuss more yeah i think i i put it down when you'd sent me the the questions to go up on linkedin but the, the big one for me and especially last year is, is at the moment is is mental health of people mental health of employees um mental health of friends and family um everyone's gone through a really difficult time in the last 12 months, um, everyone's kind of dealing with different things. Um, whilst the work from home has got good points, you know, we can kind of focus and structure our days around our own tasks and activities, exercise when we used to commute and all that good stuff. You know, it comes with stresses as well. If you've got small children at home, it's quite stressful. You kind of cut a barricade. If both you and your spouse are working, then 
you've got to try and share the responsibilities between homeschooling the kids and and working you've got um the endless back-to-back zoom calls which i don't know about you but but sometimes if i'm looking at myself for more than five six hours a day i need to go around the house and paper over all the mirrors at the end of the day because i don't want to look at myself anymore which is very tiring right much more tiring than a normal meeting or just an audio call um yeah i mean i yeah. i used i used to talk that after i i do a five or six hours training for the for yeah. the like 20 b2b companies where most of yeah. the time i'm talking like i need infusion like that's it just just lay me down on bed and put something yeah, yeah, in yeah. my veins yes <laughs> I've discovered uh, monster energy in the shop just downstairs. So <laughs> that, that, that's about as close as I can get, I think, <laughs> to that. Um, and yeah, and, and even if you're not living with family, if you, a lot of people are working alone at the moment as well. Um, and if you're in lockdown, again, it's incredibly lonely and, and quite difficult. And then at the same time, we've got all the health concerns and we're in the middle of one of the worst economic crises ever. Uh, so there's a lot of worry about um, work and company stability. When you put all of this together, it's a pretty dangerous combination of factors. And I think then you as a, as a business owner or you as a senior manager or as a team lead, I think you've got to have this really front of mind as well when you, when you catch up with your, with your colleagues and with your employees and, a big one for me is that you should, I mean, I always start every, every team meeting just by asking people how they are personally, uh, how are things at home? How are they getting on? And, and if there's anything I can help with in that moment, and, and if that takes half the meeting, you know, two, two thirds of the meeting, then so be it, because it's more important than kind of just going into what people are accountable for you know, why aren't you performing? Where are the results? There's so many different things that can be at play at the moment. And you, you, you must factor that in. It's really, an, you're not doing your job properly if you're not factoring that in. And the same with friends and family. When you catch up with friends and family, I think just making sure that, that you're doing the same, the same thing. Is this something you're seeing as well? Yeah, yeah, seeing, yeah. That, seeing that as well. There has been a lot of talk, talks about about mental health, about dealing with, with some issues all around. Yeah. I mean, even, even here with my wife, it was like during the lockdown, she was the one going to work. I could work from, from anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but like, uh, and she comes, comes home and usually she used to take those long walks uh, that she enjoys. But now like she was totally, I'm gonna have a beer and just watch, watch TV. Okay. And, you know, like kind of when you when you got stuck into the routine and you get all yeah. the bad things from the from the TV and from the news and wherever, you just want to get away into into some of your space for a while. And if if it becomes a routine, then it's dangerous. Yeah. yeah I mean, right. she didn't she didn't become an alcoholic. It was no. just an example. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she didn't. No, but you're right. Yeah, I mean, you have to employ kind of habits and things that can keep you in in positive mindset right things like exercise things like making sure you take breaks drink enough water go for a walk yeah otherwise it, it just becomes a bit of a pressure cooker yeah um yeah. i don't know about you uh, i wanted to ask you about it what are some things that keep you going for me it's like celebrate all every small little wins like yep. i use i used to like shut down the, the laptop and just play some music and dance around yeah. a little bit or like once a day I make myself get on my bicycle go to the city center and just drink a coffee on the morning sun okay. you know yeah. or or sit down by the river like those guys is, is that where you do your LinkedIn posts you're pretty prolific on LinkedIn I must admit yeah what are you, mean, like three uh, posts four posts a day yeah three three yeah. three posts a yeah. day but yeah. it's, just, it's just because um I'm listening to so many things, doing yeah. so many things, and I've been here for like 12 years. So uh, a lot of posts have already been made and like yeah. we have Facebook memories, we have okay. uh, Google Drive to remind us of mm. some of those things. So so I used to repurpose a lot, especially okay. now on LinkedIn, like after three months, nobody remembers what you've been writing. That's and, true. 
and you you are constantly going over the same things because the same problems keep occurring and you you don't need to go and reinvent the wheel there's also things you're passionate about and can speak about can't you at detail so it, it, there's no problem kind of recycling that stuff uh yeah. you can always position it slightly differently i don't yeah, remember what i posted a month ago so you're doing well if it's three months <laughs> I, I just do the I, I do the research because I yeah. I either um, leave a hashtag, which yeah. helps me track the old posts, or okay. like as I said, Facebook memories. They they help me a lot because I used to uh, mm. to use Twitter as uh, Facebook as a Twitter. So yeah. a lot of points uh, points over there, a lot of discussions, and uh, yeah, and I read a lot of comics. It helps me okay. kind of structure the dialogues when somebody comes up in the room, how can I cut short some things? How can I leave out the unnecessary points? You know, those kind of things. Nice. Which comics do you like? Which ones do you get into? Uh, uh, a lot of them. To be honest, at the moment, uh, I'm, I'm collecting Lieutenant Blueberry. I don't know if you okay. have read it. It's, it's not, the old one it. about the Wild okay. West, about okay. Indians, cowboys, uh, and all those things. And just wanted to, to collect it because like it was the comics my father was reading to me okay, and now cool. they are publish republishing them so i'm kind yeah, of trying yeah. to to gather them around but a lot of things like dc marvel of course but also some some others which are pretty i don't know um unique yeah it's a good way so, to unplug and also, yeah, and also I, frame I mean, for your I, writing i'm kind of uh tired of of reading especially business yeah, books yeah. because like nowadays business books you get at least just like one or maybe two things for each book and to get that you need to read at least a half of the book and yeah i'm kind of don't have that uh, consideration so i just went all in on uh, on comics okay cool i used to read i'm, re I'm reading uh, the ghost in the shell at the moment some short stories mm, nice. sci-fi yeah it's pretty cool and then I, my only Western comics I ever read, did you ever read Preacher? The kind yeah, of Western sure, comics? Yeah, sure. that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. He had the voice of God and then people would just do as he said. Yeah, that was a great yeah. comic series. Yeah. Preacher, Preacher, is, Preacher yeah. Is, is great. Yeah, very cool. Cool, cool, man. Uh, so for, for the end, I'd like to ask two questions. Uh, one is sure. what, are, what are the two things that you will double down in the next period of time? And the second one is, is there any topic that we didn't discuss and you would like to address uh, here to, to me, to us or to the audience? Yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of doubling down uh, for this year, um, I think as we touched on, I mean, from a company, there's two things I've kind of gonna mention, one from a company, one from personal. I think the main focus for, for me on a company side is to to kind of build uh, the business. So there were the kind of number one digital summits, one-to-one -one meeting and content business in APAC. As I said, you know, we want to be that one-stop shop for customers year round marketing and business development plans. So we're really doubling down on those multi-touch campaigns across research reports, virtual summits, one-to-one -one meetings, bespoke roundtables, podcasts, and content syndication. And I'm, I'm really excited, like, like I said, around the number of channels we have to allow our customers to kind of meet all their various marketing objectives. And then outside of work, I think the main thing I want to double down on this year, I think like we just touched on there around having a structure and, you know, being able to, to relax in the evening, read comics, go out, see friends is, is just to be able to kind of spend quality time with the family. I think the one thing the health pandemic's done is it's been a very challenging time as, as we've discussed, but it's also really been an opportunity to slow down and, and enjoy the simple things. And I just want to make sure that, this year i'm spending lots of time with my with my two daughters you know with my wife seeing them in the evenings going out the weekends and and just enjoying everything because uh you know we, we still have a lot of amazing things that were that we're fortunate enough to have in our lives so that'd be the two kind of main things i'm doubling down on this year Nemanja. um nice, anything nice. we haven't discussed i think it was a it was a very wide-ranging conversation i really enjoyed it it didn't that didn't actually feel like we were doing a podcast it just felt like we were catching up so it was good yeah, yeah, that was that <laughs> yeah. was kind of kind of the kind yeah. of the, atten the attention. Like when I was listening to you and double down on the things, one of the things I hope uh, I'll double down in the next, in the second part of the year, when we kind of have the measurements going down, and it's yeah. the con the concert and the music. 
like here yes. when I, where yeah. uh, Novi Sad is kind of like the cultural mecca of the of the surroundings, and just leaving that part out of the city, it's not the same. No. And, and yeah, so I was hoping that that we'll get back into like kind of listening to music concerts, those kind of things. Yeah. Like I had I had two while the lockdown was in, so I okay. was able to catch one while the measurements were really down and then i had my wedding so it's kind of like the oh, yeah, second yeah. one but uh but uh, man uh, i miss listening to to good music live yeah it's amazing how much we used to take for granted isn't it just being able to go and see a live music show um it, it, it yeah. really puts things in perspective i must admit there's we don't get a huge kind of like great live music scene in singapore but i'll definitely be going to even just check out anyone with a guitar on stage <laughs> When that starts again, no social distancing, cold tiger beer or another beer in hand. Uh, yeah, and enjoying do, do, again. do you yeah. have over there like street musicians? Uh, we do, yeah. There's um, kind of Clark Key here and uh, uh, Boat Key, and there's lots of kind of small bars where kind of musicians can play and they have open mic. We don't really get them so much on the roads, um, but yeah, in the, in the bars. And then Singapore, I mean, it, it has a pretty good uh, touring music scene. It's got some great festivals mm -hmm. and um, theaters and stadiums where people will play. So we're quite fortunate. But yeah, I think the other thing I'm looking forward to, but I didn't mention it because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to think forward too much, but yeah, being able to hop on a plane again and go on holiday and fly back to the UK and see my family. Um, I'd be doubling down on that the minute we can. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. important. I'm still waiting for that so I can go on my honeymoon. <laughs> yes. Have you got it booked? Are you waiting? No, not yet. Okay. I mean, uh, I just want to see, wait until the spring and then see what's yeah. what kind of going on. But uh, I think Africa is, is safe for now. So, okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, man. Thanks for doing this. It was, it was a pleasure to, to have you and to talk about Great to you. all kind of uh, different, different points, not only business related, but also related to life, the family, the health and all those uh those other important things that we often maybe maybe forget but they are as yeah. important as anything else Emmanuel, it was a it was a pleasure really enjoyed talking to you yeah man uh tell tell us for the end where can people find you yeah so i'm, I'm pretty active on linkedin as you know Nemanja. um uh danny levy on linkedin if you want to find me it's very easy and if you listen to podcasts, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you can just search for digital transformation and leadership and you'll find uh, my podcast, which is now on season two. And we've had some, some pretty cool guests. We've got more coming on. I'd, I'd love it if you check that out. Thanks, man. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, make sure you, you stay with us. Subscribe if you, if you haven't already and see you in the next episode of Smarty Marketing Podcast.